There is lots of reason to celebrate this morning. This past Wednesday, see some of y'all already had your mind in the wrong place. I made a commitment. My mouth will be cut silent about whatever happened last night. My celebrations are more unifying than that. My celebrations are something we can get behind, I think. Uh, you donated over 134 turkeys, I believe. After eight hours of a gut station, a fry station, a pull station, a plate station, uh, we then were able to go and feed almost 1,200 people in our community. I think we can celebrate that. Um, we, we may be a smaller church, but we have a mighty God who continues to do mighty work through this gathering of people. And uh, I'm humbled in moments like that to get to be your pastor, uh, to watch our collective generosity uh, reach as far as, I, I think someone drove food to Landrum, South Carolina, all the way down to Malden, South Carolina. Uh, we literally are feeding and reaching the upstate in the name of Jesus with the gospel of Jesus, and if you donated in any way time or energy or prayer or whatever part of that you've been, uh, you helped us be a part of that incredible work. And so I think we can give God glory for his work through our collective church this week. Amen. Amen. Uh, we've been in a series called The Table. Uh, we've been looking at this interesting call by the Lord at the last meal he would share with his disciples before he would go to the cross to constantly come back to this table and do this in remembrance of me. Luke chapter 22 verse 19 highlights the, the end of that idea. It's peculiar in the sense that the majority of us don't want to be, be remembered unless it's a hero's death for the way in which we die. We don't want people reflecting on our death. In fact, death for the majority of us is a moment of great weakness. It's a, a moment uh, where our bodies give out, where physically we cannot go on, and it's not the state that we want to be remembered in. I've had conversations with families where they've asked for wisdom around, do we bring the kids, do we bring the grandkids up to see their parent, their loved one, their family member in this state, because this is not how we want to remember them. However, our Savior has called us to come to his table to reflect on his death and his burial and his resurrection. And there's a reason for that. There's a purpose for that. And we've been looking at it. And it's perhaps in the uh, things that Jesus did at that table that are frequented. Not only there, but in the feeding of the 5,000, in the feeding of the 4,000, in the breaking of the bread on the Emmaus Road dinner after his resurrection. And even the uh, meal that he made for the disciples on the beach whenever he restored Peter later in, uh, in the Gospels as well. So, so we see this consistent pattern where whatever is present, the Savior takes he doesn't demean it because it's not great, because it's not grand. In fact, what we often see him taking is daily bread, common things that are overlooked, that are part of the daily diet that you would not put before a king, yet the king continues to receive 
and use for great things. He takes whatever we bring. You see, the good news that we have this morning is that no matter what state you're in, no matter what uh, current challenges you face in your life, whether you think that you are well put together or a broken mess, or as we talked about last year, a hot mess, no matter what state you are in, Jesus invites you to come to his table, and he takes whatever we are in that moment, and he lifts it up, and he blesses it. He blesses it. He lifts it to the Father. The reason it can be blessed is because it's in the hands of the Savior who has the ability to forgive us of all of our, in the old KJV KJV way of saying, all of our iniquity, all of our transgressions, all of what is broken, all of what is wrong. When we are in the hands of the Savior, we are no longer marked by the iniquities that were once identifiers of us. They can describe us now, but we now are marked by the hands of a Savior who has opened up his own veins so that you and I can be forgiven for the sins that we have committed. And therefore, we are blessed. And then, the story takes an interesting turn. He then breaks us. You come broken, you are lifted up as blessed and received by Jesus, but then you are broken. But it's not like the world's breaking that got you to the table in the state you were in before you put your hands in and your life in the hands of the Savior. No, it's, it's different. Now, instead, the, the good... Uh, the good shepherd, uh, the good physician begins surgery. He, he begins to break away the things that aren't built on the rock that can withstand the storms of this world. And as a result of it, there are treasures that we have held onto that begin to be broken away from us. Things that mattered that just don't matter anymore. He breaks us. Why does he break us? So that he can fill us with his kingdom, with his spirit. And with his will so that we then can be, and this is what we're talking about today, we then can be given. We are broken to be given. You have been broken by the Lord. You're being made by the Lord so that you can be given. Now, uh, to kind of break this down for us today, the art of being given, what does it look like to be given, I want to remind you of a daily cycle that we are called to. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus, in answering the question of what is it like to be a disciple of him, says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself daily, daily, daily. It's not a one-time event. But if you are going to live life, your, your eternal security, your position in heaven, that has been procured once, one time, once and for all, by grace, through faith, through the Savior. But if you're going to live the Christian life, it requires a daily coming to Jesus, denying yourself. That means you have a will, you have a desire, you have an outlook on your life, an outlook on what's possible with this season, an outlook on what's reconcilable and what's irreconcilable, an outlook on what what is worthy of work and worthy of attention and unworthy of work and unworthy of attention. You you have a will, you have a desire. And the problem is, is if you do not get before the Lord and yield it to him, it will get in the way of his desire and you will live a life that doesn't look like Christ, uh, but instead will look like what you had before you ever came to the table. So if anyone will come after me, he must deny himself daily, take up his cross and follow me. Jesus has to be what you yield to every day and he has to be what you aim for every day. You have to yield to him 
every day and you have to aim for him every day. I want Jesus and I need it daily. I need him to be the goal daily. So, so you yield to him and you aim for him. And, and here's why. Every day you go somewhere for daily bread. The Lord teaches us in his prayer that we are to ask him for what? Give us this day our, our daily bread. Where do you get daily bread from? That's the question. That's a serious question. You see, there are two tables set before us every day. One table is the set table of the enemy and the world, and the other table is the set table of our Lord. The enemy's table often is flooded with everything that you need, all of the decadence, all of the sweets, all of the shortcuts, promising so much, undelivering always, inviting you to come here because it's the shortcut and easiest and com- most comfortable way to get what you want as fast as you want to have it. And the enemy always has a seat for you at his table. He's always ready to invite you to sit in a day of worry, anxiety, anger, malice, and wrath, self-righteousness and vindication about why you don't need to yield to the Lord who's not moving, working, and providing in a way that you think he should work, move, and provide. And for a lot of us, we've taken the seat at the enemy's table on a daily basis for a long time now. And as a result of it, we profess a faith that feels powerless because we have no power if we are not in the presence of the Father, if we're not filled with the Spirit. Therefore, if you go to the enemy's table, even if you profess to be a son and a daughter of God, you've drifted from his table. Therefore, being absent from his presence, you feel absent from his power, which makes you feel powerless. You and I have to make a decision. To whom's table, to whose table are we going to go to for our daily bread today? Today. Now, whenever I would grow up praying that prayer, the Lord's Prayer, and we would get to that part, give us this day our, I always thought that that meant that the Lord was going to feed me and satisfy me. What I did not understand is that the Lord does not give us bread for our mere satisfaction, but he gives us bread for our neighbor's benefit. It's not enough that We serve a God that provides for our individual needs, but he puts enough in our hands that we can be a blessing and an extension of his kingdom to those who have not made it to his table and do not know anything of his table. We aren't just beggars who have found bread who are trying to find other beggars to bring to find the bread. We have bread in our hands from his table. And we are to daily take that bread to the world that is around us, giving what God has given us as an extension of his grace, mercy, and his love to those that we come into contact with. There's a guy named Glenn Packiam. He is a pastor, and he uh, was quoted in a book on this subject as saying this, Blessedness and brokenness must result in givenness. When you are blessed by God, and when you've been broken by God, The whole point of that blessed brokenness is that you would then have a givenness to the world around you. What has your life been given for? When's the last time you considered why God chose to give you another day, more breath, more time on this earth and on this planet? Why do you have a life? That has been sustained not by your ability to eat so healthy and uh, physically maintain your physique and 
steward your health in a way that keeps you alive? Why has there been a Lord who has numbered your steps and given you more time? After getting saved, there is a challenging journey that the Christian must begin. Life is not the same as it was before, but if we're being honest, we can often feel inadequate, confused, and lacking in clarity for the life that we feel a sense of calling to live as followers of Jesus. I often wonder if perhaps part of the struggle after the resurrection for Peter and the disciples was that they didn't know how to live a resurrection life. That for them, resurrected living was something that was so foreign that they just decided to go back fishing because they didn't know what else to do. In John chapter 21, verse 15 to 17, we get the story of Pete and the boys back doing what they were doing before Jesus ever called them. Peter has, at this point in time, seen an empty tomb. Peter has been in a room where Jesus has appeared and perhaps even seen Thomas put his hands in the spots where Jesus was crucified. Uh, But Peter is struggling in this moment to understand what the resurrection meant for his life. What would it look like now that Jesus had overcome death? What would it look like now that Jesus was apparently alive, but the ministry wasn't the same as it was when he was on earth? So naturally, Peter did what a lot of us would do. We go back to what is familiar. One of my new habits, that was an old habit that I thought that I'd done away with whenever I was about 11 years old, that has reemerged, is the habit of collecting baseball cards. Uh, My wife is in school right now. She's getting a master's degree and uh, spends most of the evenings after we get the kids to bed. We have a short conversation, and then she has to write papers that I have no interest in helping her write. I know I'm supposed to be a good husband. I know I need to be a supportive husband, but I support her by leaving her alone. I do not want to get back into MLA and his format. I have no desire in figuring out how to write a 15-page paper anymore. I don't know that I physically could write a 15-page paper anymore. And I'm convinced that most of the professors aren't reading these 15-page papers that they're making these people write. They just throw them down the stairs and they've got them labeled A, B, C, D. And whatever it lands on is what you get. Naturally, it's been an uncomfortable season. My normal routine was that my wife and I would get the little ones to bed. We would do devotions. We would pray over them. It would be a great moment. We would Rochambeau for who was going to lay in the hallway for the obligatory five minutes that someone's supposed to lay in said hallway so the kids feel safe, the boogie men stay away. They drift off into sleep. Then I come down the stairs before this grad degree started, and we would look at each other, and we would realize we did that. And... Uh, all of that's worth it because I still get to be around you. And we, we, we would, you know, then watch some murder show on Netflix and feel the spirit of the Lord uh, <laughs> near each other. CSI, some city coming to you. I'm surprised we don't have a CSI Greenville. They're running out of cities. Do this on repeat. Go to bed at night. It was a great routine. Well, naturally, my routine has been displaced by said grad degree. And as a result, I've gone back to what is comfortable, an 11-year-old habit of collecting cards, which at first was innocent and good, but now it is expensive. And apparently people don't value these things like I think they should because I can't sell any of them. So if you're in the market, my kids need Christmas presents and I'm selling baseball cards. Why do I bring all that up? It is natural when your routine is displaced. 
to go back to something that is comfortable, but just because it's comfortable does not mean that it is good. Pete and the boys go back to what is comfortable. They'll just go back and fish. They'll go back and do what they did before. But in verse 15, they learn of this breakfast that Jesus is going to have with them. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Before the resurrection, Peter's boast was what? If everybody leaves you, if everybody abandons you, I won't. And everyone around went, yeah, Pete's the last one that would abandon. What's the guilt? What's the guilt? Well, the guilt is that Peter's done what he never thought he could do. Jesus is risen, but he doesn't know if Jesus in his resurrection wants anything to do with him in his ministry. Why would God want, why would Jesus want to use a simple person like Pete who can't even be there when his Savior needed him in his most pivotal hour of need? Over a burning barrel, and the text says a charcoal fire, Peter, just a few weeks earlier, has denied Jesus multiple times, even to the point of saying a cuss word at a little girl who refused to let off the issue. Now over a charcoal fire on a beach, Jesus asked the question that Peter said, would always be found true of him. I love you more than these. But Peter's changed. Why? Peter had self-confidence pre-resurrection. And self-confidence is of no use in the kingdom of God. God doesn't need you to be confident in yourself in order for you to be useful in his kingdom. In fact, you thinking you're useful is a big hindrance to him using you in his kingdom. It's not until you get to the end of yourself that you can then be filled with what is greater than yourself. God's desire is that you would be broken and filled with that which is greater than you. And in order for you to get there, sometimes you've got to get out of being full of yourself so that you can become full of him. See, a lot of you came in this morning justifying why you don't need to be desperate for Jesus, why you don't need to cling to Jesus, how you're pretty much well put together. Therefore, let me just be clear with you, you're not of that much use to Jesus because in your mind, you don't need to be filled with Jesus. So why come to his table for daily bread whenever you've already got enough on your own and you just need him to kick in a little extra seasoning, a little extra side on top of what you already have? You see... Until you come to the table and put it all on the table every day, you cannot receive from the table what the world needs from and through you every day. So Pete is standing before Jesus and he gets the question, do you love me? And his answer, yes, Lord, Peter replied, do you know I love you? And then what's the call? Feed my lambs. Peter, this breaking, this failure, This restoration is not so that you can walk back around the disciples with your head held high. And it's not so that you can have some sense of dignity whenever you're around the church that gathers together in my resurrection. This is about you being broken so that you could be filled, so that you could then be given to the lambs, so that you could feed those around you. Feed my lambs. Jesus told him. Jesus repeated, verse 16, the question, Simon, son of John. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take what? You can see the one another's coming to life in the early church. Do not just consider what's good for you, but consider 
the good of your neighbor and the good of those that are around you. Peter, this is your leadership role. You're, you're to lead in living a life that comes to the table to get the daily bread, to then go and disperse that bread so that those that are around that are spiritually hungry and thirsty and trying to find it in their uh, own selfish ambitions and their own pursuits and their own lives apart from God will know that there's nothing like the living bread that comes from the table of God. So take the bread and feed the lambs. Take the bread and care for those that are far from my table. Take an interest in them. Take a concern over them. Take an investment that you put into them. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord Peter said, you know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Verse 17, a third time. Why three? Lots of speculation. That's not the point of the sermon. Why three? How many times did Peter deny Jesus over the charcoal fire just a few weeks earlier? Three times. How many times is, is Jesus going back to every point of failure and bringing it back up with the question? Three times. He's meeting him in his failure in the same spot. It's a beautiful thing. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. This is a yield. This is a move from self-confidence, I know I love you, to God, I don't know and don't trust myself. And in that moment, in that moment, when he says, you know everything, that yield, he says, you know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. What we have in this story is Peter trying to live life the normal way. And Jesus comes back in that recession, in that regression, back to the old way of living, and he intersects that old life with his presence. Within the interruption, Jesus has a conversation where he asks Peter three times, the same amount of times he had denied him just a few weeks, uh, short weeks ago, do you love me? The call of his love uh, the, the call of his love of Christ is then preceded with the call for Christ from Christ to feed his sheep. You see, following Christ may not lead to a career change, but it will absolutely lead to a motivation shift in the career that you have. Following Christ may not mean that your vocation or your outlook uh, as far as like what you do changes physically, but it does mean that, and I said this wrong, it does mean that your outlook will change in how you do it. You see, when you meet Christ, the aim of what you do and why you do it must change. We are broken and we are given for the, for the sake of being sent and spent. This is the Christian way. We are a sent people to be a spent people. We are sent that we might be spent. I want you to think about this. If you're a follower of Jesus, I believe that your chief aim and purpose is to daily come to his table so that you can be sent into that day and be spent for his kingdom, glory, name, and renown. The whole point of each day is that you would be spent at the end of it. But not spent for selfish pursuits, spent for righteous pursuits. Not spent for your kingdom being built, but spent for his kingdom to be known, seen, and established on earth. We are a sent people so that we may be a spent people. Now think about how revolutionary this thought is. When I come to the Lord's table for my daily bread, I leave the table sent. Everywhere I go, I go sent by the Lord in the name of the Lord. Some of y'all have met a wacky Christian who may just be a righteous, good Christian that's normal and you're not normal, who goes around town telling everybody, the Lord sent me. I'm on assignment from the Lord. And you're like, you're in big lots. Like, the Lord sent me. Me. Y'all ever met that woman? 
We have one in Bakersfield. She rolled around in a wheelchair and she wore a button that was this big and it said, repent. Her name was Miss Kathy. She'd roll up on young people. She'd say, hey, 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 hey. Witnessed this multiple times. Young people disturbed would come over to Miss Kathy. She's like, you know the Lord. Oftentimes not knowing if they should take her seriously or not. They would giggle and say, yeah. And she's like, well, you right with them? No matter what they would say, she would say, well, you need to repent before them. Come here, honey. And she would put her hands on these kids in Delta and pray over them. Everywhere Miss Kathy went, she was sent by the Lord. It was an assignment from God. It may look normal to you, but it was an uncommon assignment for her. She knew that God was with her, that God would never leave or forsake her. Therefore, there was not a moment that was absent from the eye and the leadership and the power of God. So she walked around as if God was in every moment. That's what it means to be sent. It's the expectation, not the uh, uh, surprise of God being with you and active in, at work through your life. You see, the idea is that we are everywhere we go to go sent by the Lord. I'm not wandering through life from accident to accident, but I am broken, filled, and given to the world on purpose. God has sent me. This thought is likely not foreign to you if you've been coming to church for any amount of time. We know this idea is in the ought to categories of our faith. We ought to live for Jesus as if we're sent by Jesus, as if we're to lean into Jesus for him to give us what we need so that we can give it to the relationships and the people and the things that we come into contact with. However, most of us do not start our day with a communion with the Lord being a priority, and as a result... Life and busyness and lesser loves become the priority in our lives. So we live most days not on the Father's business, but on our business. Not living out of the Father's supply that enables us for the good works that he has called us to do, but trying to live on our supply of energy and health benefits and tips of how we can become the people we need and be self-sufficient instead of God-dependent. As a result, we go about the day being tossed around like a rag doll. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14 speaks of this. Whenever you believe bad doctrine, we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed or blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. How many of you have taken lies, deceptive things, partial truths, half-truths, which are whole lies, and believed that they would make you whole? How many of you right now believe a diet, a change of calendaring, a change of boundaries, is what it's going to take for you to be a whole person. I'm not telling you that you don't need healthy boundaries, that you don't need to eat in a healthier way or exercise from occasion to occasion, but if you think that those are the things that are going to give you a rock, that will give you a stability that will last, you are gravely mistaken. You have diagnosed a branch with a root issue that is bigger than what you can see. At the end of the day, what we need is a rock that we can build our lives on that can withstand the storms of life that come against us. Jesus offered us daily communion and daily bread from his table because that is where we find the the foundation we need for whatever we face in life, whether it's health or a lack of health, whether it's in a season of victory or a season of defeat that we are walking through. It is before Jesus and in the presence of Jesus where we find the rock and the anchor of our souls that will keep us in those seasons of life, steadfast and able, coming to the other side in a way that will glorify God. You see, whenever you are not coming to the table of the Lord, you find yourself in a day where you're working for your worth instead of working from your worth. You find yourself working for good news instead of working from the good news that you carry. 
You find yourself working for a victory instead of working from a victory that you've already received in Christ Jesus. You see, whenever you go into a day trying to find what you're not looking for at the table of the Lord, you end up working to achieve something instead of working to give something. And you and I have been called to give. This is why we receive the call in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. And whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, we're to do it to the glory of God. So when you go to Big Lots, go to Big Lots for the glory and in the name of Jesus. If you go and eat at Cracker Barrel, do it in the name of Jesus. If you're going to put the kids to bed, do it for the glory of? Am I making sense? If you're going to mow the grass, if, if you're going to clean the house, if you're going to neighbor, if you're going to cook a meal, like whatever you do, do it so that God would get glory. Do it because you believe that God is active and engaged in it. You see, we get to live every day as ambassadors and sent people from the table of our Lord. That is the Christian way and the Christian life. This doesn't mean that we do grand things, but it means that we have something grand within us to give in ordinary mundane things. Let me say that again. Most of us, the reason we miss out on being given daily is we're looking for something so big and so grand that everyone will celebrate and herald us. And if we can't get famous off of it, we won't want to give our time to it. But, but the Christian way is that we have something great that now intersects the mundane. The routines of being a stay-at-home mom now are intersected by the power of the Holy Spirit and the kingdom of God is coming through you momming at home in a powerful and miraculous way. That's a God moment. A normal Tuesday night meal around a coffee table with cold pizza that you've heated up, well, that, that's, that's got the potential for a God moment. Uh, a nine-to-five job that you think you just stumbled into as a means to make a paycheck, well, well, there's potential for that to be a God moment, a God space where God does great things through it. You see, many of us are drained because we don't come to the table of the Lord. We get tossed around all day by the desires of the world and other people and our own desires that haven't been surrendered to the Lord. And as a result of it, we don't end the day having been spent for something that seems to matter. We're just drained and we don't know what matters. But we know that we can't keep doing what we've been doing because what we've been doing isn't leading to anything good happening. I'm not good. I'm taking it out on my kids. I'm taking it out on my spouse. I'm taking it out on everyone around me. I'm supposed to be sent. I'm mad because I can't figure out how to be sent. And at the end of the day, I don't feel like it was spent in a way that actually made a difference. I just feel like I've got more debt and more stuff that I have to do that's stacking up on my shoulders and on my head, and I feel anxious about it. And now I'm going to sit here and worry about it all night because I'm drained, and I know tomorrow I've got to go sent again. How many of you have been in that season? You see, since we are a sent people, there is a purpose in being spent for the Lord. There's a purpose at the end of the day that we are to live by, knowing that what we poured out was intentional. Paul speaks to this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. He says, I'll rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God. What's, what, what is the rest of this day about? Well, it's an opportunity for you to pour your passion, your energy, your past, your present, your future, your hope. It's an opportunity for you to pour it out as an offering to God. Just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice and I will share your joy. 
we got done frying turkeys after eight hours on Wednesday, and um, I ain't as good as I once was, in the words of a prophet that came a long time ago. I, I was sore. Like, I hurt. Like, my, my fingers hurt. My lower back hurt. My ankles hurt. I went to bed, and I woke up hurt. I don't know how in my 30s, and I'm almost going to be in my 40s, how you can go to sleep fine, and you wake up injured. I went to sleep healthy, and I woke up on injured reserve. I don't understand it, but here's what I do know. I lay down on the pillow, and I had this thought come over me. This was a good day. I got to serve with the people of God for the people that may not know God today. This was a good, there was a deep satisfaction that sometimes, if I'm being honest, is hard and it seems evading from me of knowing I served God today. How many of you have ever had a day where you're exhausted at the end of it, but you knew that you were spent for a good purpose? Any of you been there? And if you got a moment of your life or you were exhausted, you look back on it, you're not sure you want to do it again, but in the same breath, in the same breath, you know that what you did was for a purpose that actually mattered. You see, many of us go throughout our day not being poured out as an offering to God, therefore we're just getting drained. We're getting drained by tasks, drained by other people's agendas, and as a result of it, at the end of the day, we don't have anything to show. We're drained. Uh, when, when you're drained, you're, it's careless. It's just accidental. Everything's an accident. The goal daily becomes survival when you're just dealing with being drained. I just want to survive the day. I just want to get the kids to bed so that then, but the kids aren't part of the day. They're not an investment that you're spending in. I just want to get through work so that then, so work's not part of God's kingdom and not part of God's mission in your mind. You're just trying to survive it because instead of being spent on it, you're being drained by it. See, to be spent is intentional. It was budgeted and prepared for. It was an assignment that you were sent on. Some of you are getting into trouble because at the end of the day, you aren't being spent on anything, so you have lots of energy to get into a whole lot of tomfoolery and to do a whole lot of stupid stuff at the end of the day. So instead of loving your wife and loving your family and spending your life as an offering that's being poured out for God, you're building a digital life on a digital world on Xbox and ignoring and staying up late and then the next day being in a deficit of sleep because you've built this digital life that's great, but you've got a real life that's a wreck. You've been made to be spent for a kingdom that is greater than these small kingdoms that we build with our life. Some of us are drained also because we lack God-given purpose in our day. The idea, as Paul says here, is that we would rejoice in being spent. Rejoice in being spent. So what does it look like living sent and spent daily? Three quick things. You ready? Number one. Our identity daily, and we have to be reminded of this, is sons and daughters of God. Daily, we need to remind ourselves, I am a child of God. I am sent by God. I'm a kingdom citizen of God. I represent God's business, God's uh, world on earth, God's kingdom on earth. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 and 17 teaches this. It says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful, 
slaves. Instead, you've received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba Father. For His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are His children, we are His heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in His glory, we must also share in His... Everyone likes all of that until the last part of 17. Y'all are all amening, you're with me, last part of 17. We share in his suffering for the purpose of being spent in it for his glory. We share in it. We share in it. Every day you need to be reminded that this is who you are. If you are in Christ Jesus, the old is gone, the new has come, you are a son, you are a daughter of the king. If our identity is that of sons and daughters of God, then we are to walk in the path of Jesus. And if we're walking in the path of Jesus, we're walking in the path of a servant. That means our role on earth is that of a servant. We are here to serve. So we shouldn't be surprised that people are in need of service. Instead, it's almost like we've got to train ourselves to get on the Chick-fil-A way of living. It's, our, it's what we're here for. It's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. You could have gotten that, but it's my pleasure. You could have done that. You see, I can live on the attitude I'm not here to serve, but, but if I embrace the attitude of I'm here to serve, then I take the role of a servant. Mark 10, 45, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Your life doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the Father who has purchased it through the Son, who has walked in the path of a servant, and we now get to walk in the same path. So we have an identity and we have a role. Our identity is we're sons and daughters. Our role is we are a servant. Therefore, we embrace it every day so that we can be sent, so that we can be spent, so that we can be given. Embrace it every day. Galatians 2.20 says this, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. That's not coffee cup stuff. That's not a t-shirt. Like, like you, okay, let me be very clear with you. If you have given your life to Jesus, you don't have a life that is your own anymore. It doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to you. Your, your time is not yours. Like, your, your plans are cute. Like, that, that's awesome. I'm, I'm glad that you're going to retire at this age and do these, like, I, like that's really, that's sweet. But, 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 but your life has been purchased by the blood of the Savior, and he owns the rights to it. Therefore, give him, yield to him what is rightly his. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You have been received by the Savior at his table. And he in his goodness has taken you, however you were, whenever you come, whenever you came, so that you could be lifted up and blessed. But not blessed so that you could feel a sense of significance and self-sufficiency so that you could then walk from his table and not need to come back. No, you've been blessed so that you could then be broken. Not broken in the sense of the world so that you could be destroyed, but broken so that you could be made. Made in the image of Christ, stronger than you've ever been before. Built on the rock, founded in the truth, sent as his disciple, a light in the darkness, sought to the earth. 
But when he breaks you, he doesn't break you so that those you like and those you consider worthy can be served. No, he, he breaks you so that you can be sent. To who? Well, at this church, we like to say it this way. The least, the lost, and the lonely. Who are the least? The, the, least, the, the last people you want to be around more than likely. The time suckers. The ungrateful takers. You've been sent so that you can be spent. And God's not wasting what he's spending and giving you. So we come to his table to be reminded of this weekly. In just a second, we're going to take communion. Communion is for anyone that is a follower of Jesus. And it's our way of being reminded of the Savior's sacrifice, of the good news of the gospel, of what Jesus has done for us on our behalf by grace so that through faith we could receive it, be changed, and made new. But it's also a place where we're reminded of the cost of our unity. It's also a place where we're reminded of the daily call for us to be followers of Jesus, to come to his table, to be blessed, broken, and given so that the world may see and know the good news of the gospel of Jesus. We'd love for you to take communion with us in just a moment. If you don't have a relationship with him, we invite you in this moment of decision to come forward, to be prayed for, to surrender your life to him. If you're harboring unforgiveness in your heart, if you're drained and struggling to figure out how you can be spent in a way that is satisfying in the eyes of the Lord, we'd love to pray with you. It'd be our joy to do so. Our prayer team's going to be here. You move as the Lord leads. In Jesus' name. Amen.